Corporate Unplugged opens the door to a world of people transforming business. They share their dreams, their experiences, and what they would never give up. I'm so glad to have Sahar Hashimi here with me from London. Welcome to my podcast, Sahar. Thank you, Krishna. I'm so happy to meet you actually here in my home city of uh, Stockholm. We are at the Nordic Business uh, Forum. It is a forum that is full of, of, of speakers, including uh, the likes of Simon Sinek and other people that I also adore a lot. And I'm so happy that you're here also because I, I think that you're a fantastic, fantastic example of a person who's really using yourself as an instrument for good change as well. Uh, you have a fantastic background. I'll just give a very short intro uh, for those who might not know you. Uh, Sahar Hashemi is a, a keynote speaker, author, entrepreneur, and powerful authority on innovation. Uh, she's the co-founder of Coffee Republic, the first UK coffee bar chain, and she created Skinny Candy, the guilt-free confectionery brand. Sarah has been recognized for the entrepreneurial achievements and has been named a pioneer to the life of the nation by Her Majesty the Queen, as well as many other awards such as the World Economic Forum's Young Global Leader. In a few hours, you will be uh, uh, standing up on stage in front of these, I think it's like 1,300 or something, exactly. uh, business leaders at this Nordic Business Forum. And I'm so excited about that because you do have important messages to them. You have great advice to give them. And you've been recently uh, writing a book called Startup. Startup Forever. Yes, Forever. it came out last month, actually. Yes. Yeah. Tell us, what, what is that book for and who is it for? Um, well, that book actually is about entrepreneurship and big organizations. And maybe if, if I just give you a tiny bit of my own background, really, as you said in your introduction, is I'm an entrepreneur. I never thought I would be an entrepreneur. I think I almost became an entrepreneur by accident. And it was almost like, you know, I had an idea and we turned it into business. And five years later, I look back and thought, oh, I suppose I'm an entrepreneur. But it was just very much I saw as the company I started starting like a startup, very much kitchen table stuff. As it got bigger, as it got more successful, we started losing that entrepreneurial feeling. We started losing that startup feeling. And of course, back then, the idea was that it's natural to lose the startup feeling because you start up as a startup and then you move and become a big company and you act like a big company. But I think what's happened now, we see the pace of change is such that no one can act like an old big company anymore because mm. almost everyone's now in the same environment as a startup used to be. The same pace of change, the same constant disruption, the same yeah. uncertainty, the lack of safety nets, the resources changing, you know, the world mm. moving on its axis. So in a way, everyone's suddenly been pushed into these sort of waters that used to be only for startups. Yeah. So how can a big company act and think like a startup mm. is, I think, the million dollar question. And I come from it from a very personal angle because I saw my startup becoming big. So I have seen the difference between how a startup behaves and how a big company behaves. Mm. And I actually think that they don't need to be that different. I think what it is, is that in a big company, we've got a culture, we've got a way of behaving that's just, it's become institutionalized. That's what corporate culture is. It's memory of how we used to act. Mm. And that's become quite entrenched and big companies act like that. But there's no reason why they can't change very, very quickly, very easily to act much more in a startup way. It's not that difficult. Mm. 
And it all starts with ourselves, right? Because you, I've seen some uh, video clips of you and so on saying that, you know, who you are and what you do must be the same thing, right? And it's the same in a way for companies, because if you look at a company as a person, I mean, who they, what are they being rather than what are they only doing, right? Yes, absolutely. That's what we are after. Yeah. And, and I think a company was based very much before, I think, you know, on, on a command and control very militaristic, you know, very old thinking mm. that actually if we've got a group of people working together, let's tight manage them really tightly because like that we can control them. But of course, back then that was okay because uniformity, you know, the world moved very, very slowly. And so uniformity was you wanted everyone to act the same, you know, yeah. it was almost you had to sort of come and be a certain type. Whereas now that's all different. And mm. so the personality of these companies has to change. And I think exactly, mm. as you say, Vesta is moving very much towards becoming much more human. Mm. You know, a startup environment is very human. A startup environment often starts with the personality, with the sheer force of a personality of a founder. Mm. A startup starts with a passion of a founder. But this is what we lack in a big company because we've lost the human element. It's become mm. a corporate structure with disciplines and people are not meant to count you're meant to not rely on people but that's got to change and mm. this is a wonderful time in a way that mm. it, it's creating this need to change culture and going back to that passion that you mentioned you and your brother co-founded the company some years ago as we mentioned here uh the coffee republic but in general you as a person what what is your passion every day waking up and you know, having something that perhaps I'm a bit out of my comfort zone and just doing it. I, I don't know why getting, being in an area where I feel I'm good at and getting something done. You know, I, I was a lawyer in my life and then I started a company that was, of course, huge passion. Then I started speaking, writing books. And for example, you know, my passion is always what my current passion is. So my book mm. Startup Forever came out last month. And so at the moment, this idea of Startup Forever and my book and what I talk about, that's my passion. So every day I wake up and I think, yeah. how can I spread this message? You know, how can I relay this? How can I make it clearer for people? Um, that's what I get up for. And that's what I absolutely, absolutely love doing. My work is my passion. And that's what I find quite sad that for a lot of people, they think, you know, work is just work and you come in for the paycheck and your passion is a hobby you do outside. You know, whereas it's not actually, we're doing it the best years of our lives, most of our waking hours, mm. especially now with technology, there's no divide between the two. So mm. what better than to do something you love every day? It's like my hobby. But for my 20 something years of experience working in different companies and so on, when I look back at it, I was not always 100% myself there. And that's one of your I know, points also that go to a company, work for something where you can really bring 100% of yourself to the place because that's where you're going to bring your talent and your your your, your energy and everything with you and that's where results are created from as absolutely well. yes i mean i think very mm. much you know my dad's generation i think our parents generation be very shocked if someone said bring 100 yourself to work because that's exactly what you shouldn't have done it was the whole thing about wearing a work suit you're meant to yeah. wear a suit because it was almost like a uniform so that mm. you wouldn't be yourself, so that you would look like everyone else. And sure. you had to leave your emotional baggage at the door. And, you know, mm. work was no time for emotion or mm. anything human. Yeah. And I think that's very much changed because innovation ideas don't come from processes and systems in a yeah. company. They don't come from the manual. They yeah. come from individuals mm. using mm. things like empathy and curiosity and putting themselves mm. in customer's shoes and mm. trying things out. So 
That's why it's so important to be 100% yourself now. But that's it's very mm. new, and I think mm. big companies are adjusting to that because mm. it takes a bit of a bit of a shift and a bit of a move. As long as they adjust to it because of the right reasons, not because we should. That's what it's appreciated, right? But that it comes from like let's say the heart of the company. Absolutely, mm. absolutely, and kind of um, mm. yes, there's a whole you know a lot of funny. If I was just talking to someone around purpose, and they were saying, "Oh, purpose is important," and I think a lot of companies speak about purpose and yet they lose the real point of purpose is the customer that people are serving. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of kind of going back and just being really authentic about it rather than sure. just, as you say, using these words, which, which happens a lot. What do you feel is your purpose now? Uh, my purpose is my book startup forever. Yeah. <laughs> It's very much genuinely encouraging entrepreneurial thinking in big companies. In terms of transformational points, uh, we all have those in our lives that have, you know, steered us in different directions and so on. Can you imagine just one or two of yours? The first one probably was when I was working as a lawyer and I'd been a lawyer for five years and it was my first job. And my father died very suddenly. And, you know, he was very young in his early 60s and I was in my 20s. And, you know, I'd been very much in a comfort zone, a very sort of blessed childhood. And my dad dying very suddenly of a stroke, I think that was a real shock. And I just remember it was the first time that it dawned on me that actually this comfort zone that I think I had is not something permanent. And that actually perhaps it's a sort of false sense of security yeah. and that life is in fact short. And I just remember my dad dying was just, you know, it was like someone had pulled the rug from under my feet, but very much that made me feel like then you've got to change, you've got to do stuff because if life can change so quickly, then... What am I holding on to? And I think we learn from those shocks. And I think the next one was actually setting my business, Coffee Republic. When we left in 2001, I really missed it. And that was transformational because the pain of missing a company you start is huge. Mm. And what I learned from that experience, which is kind of really what I talk about now. So 2001, that's quite a bit of time ago. How do you feel about that now? Have you, has, has it... It's still very sore, actually. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of, you know, yeah. I mean, I've read a lot about it. When entrepreneurs leave companies, they start. It's actually very much like a bereavement. It's very traumatic. Yeah. And I hadn't realized how traumatic it was because you start something and every little, you know, cell in that business, every little item that anything anyone sees, you've done, you've built through yeah. blood, sweat and tears. And then suddenly it's not there. You can just sell it off in two seconds. And it's really through that experience that, 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 that I learned a lot. It was through the pain of that experience. I missed it a lot. That our company, Coffee Republic, didn't do at all well after we left. You know, about nine years after we left, I remember hearing on the radio, the company went into administration. You don't really see Coffee Republic around anymore. And so mm. it's through that I learned that, my God, we should have stayed. We should have kept that focus on the customer. We should have kept that passion of the entrepreneurial spirit alive and no company graduates to just becoming big and just mm. run by machines and automatons. And it was not just automatic for you then to say, okay, let's start a new business. I wrote a book about the experience, anyone could do it. And then I did start a new business. I started Skinny Candy and um, Sugar-Free Sweets, which I sold quite quickly, but it was a different business in a way. And I think yeah. I have to confess, I never fell in love with Skinny Candy as much as I was in love with Coffee Republic. <laughs> Is there anything you could call like a long-term formula for companies, like look at it as a common denominator for all kinds of companies out there that is important uh, for their you know, long-term results, but also for their raison d'être? I think, I mean, the word raison d'être you use is in fact that famous word 
bandied about nowadays purpose. So companies are always talking about purpose, but they just make it too highfalutin the word purpose. You know, all purpose is, is every company is serving a customer out there. And it's about reconnecting with who you're serving. I get shocked how many companies I go to and everyone's so busy in the internal stuff, they've lost touch with the end recipient of, of their services, yeah. be it a pharma company, be it goods, services, whatever. And I think there's once you reconnect with the power of someone that actually you're part of this bigger picture of mm. someone using your product, it makes it meaningful. And I think a lot of companies have lost that meaning because there are so many silos and layers that the customer, the recipient is right out there yeah. and they never really connect. So I think that the biggest common denominator is connecting with the customer. This is something, for example, if you read about Amazon, you know, I think a company that is extraordinary in that they're obsessed with the customer. All they think about is a customer and work backwards. Whereas in a lot of companies, Customers almost forgotten this on the outside. It's more the organization everyone's worried about. Mm -hmm. So I think connecting with the purpose yeah. of what you do, connecting with the customer, connecting everyone, even if people facing the internal customer, with actually what you do, which is serving the customer, is mm -hmm. hugely powerful. And still, I mean, with 2019, and one would say, how come that's not basic for every company to fulfill that? And is it because they don't know how? And what is the how? Well, do you know what I mean? Funny enough, I'm going to be talking about that later. I think there are a couple of obstacles to that. And one of that is bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. You know, companies have become big, they act big, and the bureaucracy stops them. People, you know, haven't got a minute, you know, to be fair to people. They're like, I can't think of customers. I can't go and follow them because it's a luxury I can't afford. And it's realizing customers are not a luxury. So yeah. I think a bit like what I was saying before is processes have come into companies. Bureaucracy has become so thick and so dilapidating in a way. Mm. And that's what we need to get rid of is get rid of the bureaucracy so you free people up so they can see the customer on the outside. They can see the picture and what part they play in this bigger picture. And if the purpose is incredibly clear to everybody involved in the company, then you get more self-leadership and you can live with less processes. Absolutely. And it kind of, and it just, it's not, you know, the purpose is clear, show people the customer, show them yeah. how the customer feels when they use the product. Mm. That makes a huge difference because you feel you're part of something. You know, when you're a startup, you're part of a mission and it's incredible energy goes with that. And I think companies have lost that energy that goes mm. with it because you know, no one knows who they're working for. They're working for their boss or they're working for the customer. And yeah. let's go back to the customer. Just let's clear everything out so people are facing externally. Yeah. Okay. Because the, the external world's changing so fast and it needs it needs the people in the company. Mm. And yet they're so busy with the internal world. I see companies as has always have had a lot of power, of course, but as the new instrument for, to change things and solve things in the world. Because uh, you know, the more you lack real, genuine leadership among politicians, governments, etc., the more people tend to turn to companies to use, let's say, our consumer power, right, to operate via companies and pressure them in a positive sense to deliver what we want them to stand for as well, not only products and services. What are they standing for? What Absolutely. is their integrity, right? Absolute authenticity. Is there like one piece of advice that you always, when you get a chance, give to leaders? I suppose my piece of advice is, again, you know, just, just get everyone back to the customer, get everyone involved mm. the customer, get rid of bureaucracy. Okay. Get rid of that whole, you know, be aggressively open-minded, I think is very important. Be mm. clueless. Experiment. <laughs> Lots of advice. <laughs> yeah, because actually when you look at 
leadership, what is it? I mean, it's, it's really how I see it is that you experiment and you dare to go places where others have not been, right? Absolutely. And, you know, a huge thing is this daring, as you say, is courage. And I yeah. think something enormous in companies is fear. People, when you say fear, they're like, there's no fear here. But really, when you yeah. go a bit under the surface, there's huge fear. There is fear of not being busy in a funny way. You know, there's a certain comfort in having a full diary. And so if you don't have a full diary, yeah. you fear that maybe you're not needed. There's a fear in asking a stupid question. You know, when you're an entrepreneur, you're... I feel because I have the label entrepreneur, I almost feel I have a license to ask a question that might be stupid. But I think in a way as a leader, you're meant to be the adult in the room. So you're meant to have the answers. But you know, you can't have all the answers in the world that's just changed while you were asleep. So you know, it's daring to ask the stupid questions. In a way, I have a slide I'll show you later called You've Got to Dare to Become the Chief Stupid Question Asker. Because it's by the stupid yeah. questions yeah. that you find the innovation. You've got to dare for people to, for an idea not to work. You've got to do it small. You've got to experiment. So this daring, I think, is, is hugely important. And sort of almost courage kind of comes into that. And that only comes by removing this fear of failure and this bravado of leadership, I think. And that's why also when you were establishing your own company before you came in, you were a lawyer, you did something you've never done before. And that's probably also one part of the success because you had the mindset of, of rethinking something. You didn't have a, a basic program. I call that the importance of being clueless. It's the sure. outsider mentality. Mm -hmm. And somehow, you know, I gave myself a license because I'm like, listen, I've just got an idea. <laughs> But I think everyone in the big company okay. should allow themselves that. Why should you feel like you know all the answers just because you're the leader? It's, it's, it's a ridiculous kind of pressure to put on yourself. And if you would give an advice to yourself, like, yeah, let's say 15 or so years ago, or you pick the time frame, <laughs> what would that be? Oh, well, my advice, actually, my main advice would be that when you start a company, you know, a company always needs the entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. The big advice would be I would have never left the company I started. You know, my brother and I built something amazing, something big and yet we left it to people yeah. that didn't really care about it so yeah. that's my biggest advice to yeah. myself that's why I called my book startup forever is that you are a startup forever whatever size you are you always have to keep that mentality so that's the advice I give myself mm. don't bloody leave the company and why did that come about why did you leave in the sense that was it that, like the hype around you of all the people you know list stock listing the company right yeah, yeah, the exactly. listed company and everyone kept saying when's your you know it was such an old thinking now I'm sure if you say to someone a millennial when's your exit I suppose people still talk about exit but you remember that mm. word when when you exiting when's the exit you start up to exit And in a funny way, we love that company, but exactly the hype. And then that feeling of, mm. oh, well done, you start the company. But there was a huge thinking we've all forgotten mm. now that entrepreneurs are only good to start companies. Entrepreneurs can't run companies. You still see a few articles about that, that, you know, it's kind of an entrepreneur should know when to leave. It's almost like you have a sell-by date, like you're a meat in a supermarket and your sell-by date's gone and you're going to go kind yeah. of sort of rotten and that, that was the thinking you know that oh we must give it to professionals to run mm. what Silicon Valley calls grown-ups and we bought into that and you know it was a very early yeah. stage where people didn't realize actually there's huge power in that passion there's huge power in that love you feel for yeah. the company and yeah sometimes whether you know a lot of entrepreneurs get tired they get quite fatigued you somehow don't have the skills But you can find the skills, but you've still got to keep that passion because you can never hire that passion. It's very rare to find someone yeah. who loves that business. Anita Roddick, the founder of Body Shop, 
who passed away a few years ago, she used to say, we have an umbilical cord to the mm. business, the DNA of the business. So once you've got that, why lose it? For many years now, uh, like the new religion is entrepreneurship and, and everything uh, digital. I like the word, and... the new religion is entrepreneurship. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the, the digital stuff and all that, of course. And uh, whoever is in, uh, let's say, the age bracket of 25, 35, 40 is like on the top of the mountain somehow. So how is all this changing our society? The way it's changing our society is that people expect a different, you know, people will never go and work in the same atmosphere that the same work environment that our parents did and our grandparents did. You know, people need a different one. They need much more authenticity. They need much more of a human culture. They can't work in the command and control. They don't know what that is. They need to connect to the purpose. They need to see that they're making a difference, I think. Um, so I think that's what's making a difference. But I think the only problem is making entrepreneurship the religion we've forgotten about very much as you were saying earlier, how much scope there is in large companies mm. and the genuine value and honor and the potential of making the change within a large company rather than just going and starting up on your own. So that's the only thing I'm, I'm against. There's too much, you know, before we never talk about startups, now it's too much on a pedestal. Mm. And yet we've forgotten about all this other. What do you think the world needs most at this time? Gosh, I think the world needs a bit of calm and a bit of time. I think we're inundated, aren't we, with just information coming at us. You know, I just landed this morning, you know, the sort of WhatsApp from my messages, from the emails to everything on kind of social media. So mm. I think just, just a tiny bit of space. I think that's the whole thing about mindfulness and just looking into ourselves and, and seeing what we're good at and finding our own true purpose in life. And that's the advice I would give to young people. Like, I don't mm. know how they find their, their calling yeah. when we are so distracted by others and the agenda of others. And I was lucky to grow up when we didn't have that. And I managed to find my own calling. So mm. I think it's just a bit of move away all this noise so people can find what their true calling is, you know, what they love doing, what they're good at, and just for them to do it without regard to what anyone else is doing and mm. what the world's doing. And just too much info. That's so true. And also I'm thinking about everybody who's now in school, you know, the education doesn't really, as it is now, help them. That's much right. Absolutely. In, in, in discovering that, let's say, maybe talent or what they really feel like, because they're so measured. It's like an industrial system. That's right. Absolutely. Again, like the same one we used to have 20 years ago. It's not that different. Yeah. yeah. So let's hope for a change there. So how was it to be on the podcast? Wonderful. Well, lovely. Lovely to meet you, Bethany. Yeah. Thank you, Sahar. Thanks for sharing. And you will find links and uh, show notes on corporateunplugged.com slash podcast. Uh, so remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Acast, and share this episode with your network and friends for impact. Share it with the people you know would benefit from hearing it. Thanks for listening. And until next time, live with purpose and remember to unplug. Ciao. Bye-bye. Thank you very much.